Heritage Church. Um, if you don't know anything about me, I just uh, recently came on staff here at Heart of the City Church about eight months ago. Graduated from college in January, and uh, in July, on July 10th, the biggest moment of my life, I got married. Uh, I'm very proud to be the husband of, uh, it was Brianna Knudsen, it's now uh, Brianna White. We were actually riding bikes uh, the other night, and um, we were crossing an intersection, and there was a high school girl who was driving probably over the speed limit and almost hit us. Um, so I whipped my bike around to pray for deliverance for that young high school girl. And <laughs> she said, hey, Miss Knutson. And I was like, what did she just say? I said, that's Mrs. White to you, young lady. <laughs> so it's been about a month and a half. Very zealous, young married man. Very proud to be uh, the husband of Brianna White. Um, so marriage is, is something that uh, I believe is, is the greatest institution, the greatest relationship that two people can have together. So um, that's uh, all you need to know about me um, <laughs> right now. We're going to dive in. Mark chapter 838. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Mark chapter 838. Verse 38, if you don't have your Bibles, you can read it up on the Sky Bible. That's just as good, just as holy. Um, it says this, Mark chapter 8, verse 38, this is Jesus speaking. He says this to his disciples, For whoever is ashamed of me, pay attention to that word ashamed. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. For whoever is ashamed of me. Verse, uh, then, this is our main, our main scripture for today. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Uh, it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, if you don't know anything about the scripture, many of you probably do. It's a very popular scripture within the Christian faith, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. But the, the reason why, and this is to me, the, the book of Romans in general is, is the Apostle Paul's greatest theological work. Um, and it's 16 chapters or so. If it's 15, sorry, forgive me. Uh, it's, I think about 16 chapters, correct? don't want to embarrass myself up here. Uh, it's, it's Paul's greatest theological work. And this scripture right here, verse 16, in my opinion, is the thesis of that whole book. And the reason why it is, is it's so provocative. Can you go back to that scripture? Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. The reason why that's so provocative is because the church that Paul was writing to was, was a very unique church. It was a church of both Jews and Gentiles, God's chosen people and everybody else. Now the Jews, all they ever knew really in, in a lot of ways was shame. Because their life was controlled and governed by the law of God. All these laws, about 600 or so laws that they had to follow. And if they could follow them, then they felt unashamed. But it was very hard to follow these laws. So often they, all they ever felt was shame. And the Gentiles, well, they were everybody else. They didn't have the law. They weren't God's chosen people. So in a lot of ways, they too also felt a lot of shame. So the people that Paul is writing to are feeling a lot of shame. And Paul comes out and he says, I am un." ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now this is also very interesting because the world that they lived in at that time, this church, both of Jews and Gentiles, lived in the Roman Empire. Now the emperor of Rome at this time was Nero. 
And Nero did not like Christians. Whether you were Jew or Gentile, it didn't matter. If you were trying to follow Jesus, if you believed in Jesus, he hated you, really. And Paul is writing to these people at a time where Nero is just beginning to persecute Christians. And at the climax of this persecution, you know what Nero did? There's a conspiracy that Nero lit the city of Rome on fire. And he blamed the Christians for doing it. He hated them so much that he lit the whole city on fire at the climax of the persecution, and he blamed the Christians for doing it. And he took it another step. He would take Christians, and he would dip them in wax, and then he would set them on fire. And he would say, now you truly are the light of the world. Being unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ at this time took an incredible boldness, an incredible fearlessness. And Paul is writing to these Christians who faced insane persecution, insane shame, shame that they were so afraid of. And Paul writes to him, he says, I am unashamed. Now for Paul to write that, if you don't know anything about the apostle Paul, before he was Paul, he was Saul. And he was murdering Christians himself. And now he is the leader of the Christian movement at this time. Paul, how could you possibly be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you realize the risk, the cost that you're facing for being so bold? Now we live in a world and a culture today and often if you look at media, you see a lot of people coming out, a lot of people unashamed of what they believe in, unashamed of who they are. But if we would take our eyes off the media, and I see this as a pastor, I don't think that that's the reality in the world that we live in. I think if we're really honest with ourselves, the reality in the world that we live in, if we would look around, is that a lot of people are crippled by shame. We're crippled by it. Based on the things that maybe we've done or the things that have been done against us, we're crippled by shame. And as much as we would like to be unashamed of who we are and unashamed of where we're going and unashamed of who our God is, we are so crippled and we live under this cloud of shame. But I want to bring hope to you today. That regardless if maybe that's the truth for you or if it once was, I believe that because of the power of Jesus Christ and the power of Jesus Christ alone, nothing else in this world, that we can be unashamed of who we once were and we can be unashamed of where we're going because of who our God is. And for some of you today, it's your coming out party. Now don't look up the hashtag coming out party on Instagram or Facebook because you'll be greeted with some pretty wild things. But for some of you today, the shame comes to an end. And the liberation begins. The freedom begins. No longer do we live under a cloud of shame because of what's been done against us or because of what we've done, but because of who our God is, because of what Jesus has done for us. We can be unashamed regardless of our circumstances and our situations, what people might try to do to us. Even if they wanted to dip us in wax and light us on fire, it wouldn't matter because our God is greater. Today is our coming out party. Will you pray with me? God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your power that's greater above all things. God, we give this time to you. We pray that you be glorified. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I lied to you. I'm going to tell you a little more about me. Uh, <laughs>
just real quickly, uh, my family, my beautiful family is from Boston, Massachusetts, and we are proud of it, you know. If you've never been to Boston, uh, a lot of really strong Irish Catholic families, and they are proud, proud people. Uh, and we're from Boston, Massachusetts, uh, and I grew up every summer going back to Boston. And, and my favorite thing to do was to go to Fenway Park and watch the Red Sox play. And I had a favorite player on that team. Uh, I was a shortstop growing up, pitched a little bit, but my favorite player on the Red Sox was Nomar Garcia Parra. Uh, he was a shortstop. He was an incredible baseball player and all-star. And, and I would go to Fenway Park with my cousin. And what we would do, is we'd go to the ballpark a little bit early in order to get autographs. And, uh, and I would bring a ball. And I would go down to uh, close to the dugout in order to try to, to catch Nomar uh, before he would go in and out of the dugout before the game in order to get his autograph in. And I really didn't care at this point if the Red Sox won or lost. All I really wanted to do was get Nomar's autograph because to me, he was very much so like a god. Uh, he was awesome. I just looked up to him so much. And I, when I wanted to be a shortstop, I wanted to be like Nomar. So we would go down to the field and, and I would yell, Nomar, 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 come on over. Nomar. Nomar, 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 come sign my baseball, Nomar. And there was a bunch of other kids yelling and screaming for Nomar. And my cousin finally looked at me and he said, Connor, you idiot, you're never going to get Nomar's autograph if you say Nomar. He's like, it's Noma, Noma, no, no A-R-A-H, Noma. That's how we say it in Boston. It's Fenway Park, they're cars, we don't speak English properly, it's Noma. And I was like, oh, good God, you you kids go to school around here or what? <laughs> so I listened to my cousin. I said, no ma, no ma, no ma. Come sign my baseball, no ma. Sorry, Don, if I spit on you. <laughs> People in Boston, they got a spitting problem too. No ma. You got to keep your distance from the Bostonians. No ma. So no more would come over, no more. He would come over and he would sign baseballs and he was getting really close. He was getting closer and closer and Stuck my baseball out for him to sign it, and he kind of looked at me, and he winked. He winked at me. <laughs> and then he ran back out on the field, left me high and dry, no autograph. Yeah. You can pray for healing. So the, the game would go on, and the year would go on, and I would go back home to Podunk, Little Idaho, and... I would look forward to the next summer where I would return to the big city. And again, I, I waited uh, at the dugout for Nomar Garcia Parra. Finally, he signed my baseball. Uh, finally, he signed my baseball. And at that time, it was the greatest moment of my life. And I was completely ecstatic. And we would continue to sit at the baseball game. And people would ask for hot dogs. And they would root for different people. And all I could talk about was Nomar. One guy, he was like, he ordered hot dogs. And if you've ever been to a baseball game, usually you got to pass the hot dogs and the beer, whatever you order down the aisle. And he said, hey, kid, will you, will you grab my hot dog and my beer? And I said, Nomar. <laughs> Nomar signed my baseball, man. He's like, kid, it's not Nomar, it's Nomar. I was like, whatever, man. He signed my baseball. And I just told everybody. I would just show off my baseball. I went home to my grandma's house later that night, and it's the middle of the night, and I woke grandma up. I said, grandma, grandma, grandma. And she was like, oh. I was like, Grandma, you sleep all day. Wake up. <laughs> Nomar signed my baseball. The power of that autograph, man. It was so powerful to me. It made me do crazy things. 
Some of you guys are Seahawks fans. The power of the sea is Peggy's shaking her head. No way, the Seahawks are gone. <laughs> but seriously, there are things in this world that have all this power and they make us do crazy things. People and materials and substances. My question for you today is, who has power over your life? I mean, that's a question that we really have to ask ourselves. Who or what has power over our lives? And that question is so important because depending on who, that someone or that something that has power over our life, it will control our destiny. Day in and day out as we live, as we move forward in this life, and this life can be very painful and it can be very hard. At 23 years old, I know that. But the overall well-being and health of our lives is dependent on who has power or what has power over us. Who has power over your life today? Connor, how do I know who has power over my life? Well, who or what controls your thoughts? Who or what controls the way that you spend your money? Who or what controls the way that you spend your time and your energy? The thing that has power or the, the person that has power over your life is that person or that thing that you just can't get your mind off. It's that person or that thing that you just want to invest all of your money in. It's that person or your thing that you just spend all of your time, whether it be on Facebook or writing letters. And I'm not saying all these things are inherently bad, but it's really important to know ultimately who has power and control over your life. Who has power and control over you? Who makes you unashamed or what makes you unashamed? Now, this is the interesting, interesting thing about power. See, we were created for power. Genesis says in the beginning that we were created in the image and the likeness of God. Now, God, the very person who created us three in one, the Trinity, is the most powerful being, person, ever. He's completely in power, completely in control, and he says that he created us in his likeness. They, the plural, the trinity. So we are created for power, out of power, with the capacity to have power and the capacity to desire power. We need power. There's something inside of us that has it. Now, Adam and Eve understood this. And when they were whole, when they were perfect at the time, they were just enjoying the power of God with everything that God had given them. But at one point in time, they had this desire, this curiosity for a power that they were never created for, the knowledge of good and evil. A knowledge that only the most powerful being could possess and control. So they had this desire for power and they went for it and we know what happens. Sin enters the world. Brokenness enters the world. Shame enters the world at that moment. And ever since then, humanity has been at a fight for power, battling with power, battling with shame in order to try to fill this hole that was made as a result of a lack of power. Who or what has power and control over your life today? Who or what? It's so important. And Paul, in this scripture, he says, I'm unashamed. He appears to be incredibly bold and courageous about this power. 
And I can imagine that the Roman church, again, we know that they're facing extreme persecution and the tension is only building. The persecution is only going to get worse. People who just live this life of shame and they want to know, Paul, how could you possibly be so unashamed? How could you possibly be so bold? What power is it that controls you? He says it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. His, the power that controlled Paul was not a material, it was not an object, it was not a philosophy. See, at this point, Paul had been preaching and he was on, his ro- on the road to Rome in order to meet this church and he had been preaching and at one point he had been arrested for preaching this, for being unashamed. He had been chased out of a city for being unashamed. He had been laughed at for being unashamed. And now he gets to Rome. And he says, I'm still unashamed. (laughs) Paul, what power is it that could possibly control you? What power is it that could make you this way? What power is it that could take you from being a person who deserves all the shame in the world to be completely unashamed, knowing that you could be murdered, that you could be lit up for this shame? What power is that? And Paul says it's not a philosophy or an object or anything. It's a person, and his name is Jesus. And I'm here to tell you today, I'm here to tell you today, and I'm about to prove it to you. And you can disagree with me if you'd like to. That's okay. But the only power that can fill that hole in our heart is Jesus Christ. The only power, and we all have a hole. We've all felt shame before. Maybe we still live under it. The only power that can fill that, that can make us whole, is the person of Jesus. That's it. Connor, how can you say that? Well, I would imagine that the Romans would have probably asked Paul the same thing. Paul, how could you tell us about this power, man? What power is it that you're really talking about? And Paul, he would have thought of even the birth of Jesus. What do we know about the birth of Jesus? And how Jesus was born to a virgin woman through the conception of the Holy Spirit. And at this time, she was a teenage girl, and it says in the scripture in the beginning of Matthew and other gospels that Joseph, her husband, they had never had sex before, but Mary was pregnant. He says that he was going to divorce her quietly, so why? So that she could avoid the shame. And the Holy Spirit comes to Joseph, and he speaks to him. He says, Joseph... This is my son, the son of God. You stand by this woman and you lead her and you raise this son who's going to be the savior of the world because I'm the God of the universe and no matter what the world tells you, she can't be ashamed because of me or she can't feel shame because of me. Paul would have thought of Jesus hanging out with a bunch of sinners And the religious people saying, Jesus, there's no way you're the son of God. There's no way that a holy, righteous God would hang out with a bunch of losers, a bunch of drunkards, a bunch of wine bibbers, a bunch of thieves. There's no way. And Jesus ate meals with them. If you know the significance of that, to eat a meal with somebody was to endorse somebody as your friend. Jesus was a friend of sinners, people who felt, all they felt in that culture from the religious people, from the Christians, so to speak, was shame. And Jesus said, I'm your friend. Paul would have thought of Zacchaeus. 
And Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus, if you know anything about Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was the chief thief in the town that he lived in. And Jesus has got a crowd of people around him in this town. And Zacchaeus is very curious about this person, Jesus. But he doesn't want to get close to Jesus because he knows the shame that he feels for the wrongs that he's done. So he sits up in a tree. And Jesus knows exactly where he's at. Friends, I have good news for you today. No matter what shame you feel, Jesus knows exactly where you are. So he sees Zacchaeus. He says, everybody, get out of my way. Zacchaeus, short little Zacchaeus, you thief, you. Come on out of that tree, man. Let's go have dinner. He sits with Zacchaeus all night long, just him and Zacchaeus. Can you imagine what the religious people were saying? The gossip and the rumors? What's the Son of God doing with Zacchaeus all by himself in his house, eating a meal? He should be shaming him. I hope that's what he's doing, that's what he deserves. That's not how the story ends. Zacchaeus, someone who had stolen all this money from all these people, at the end of the meal says, Jesus, I want to pay everything that I've stolen back four times. And you know what Jesus says? He says, salvation has come to this house. A man who all he should have felt was shame was set free by the power of Jesus Christ and salvation came to that house. We've been talking a lot about this woman in this series, The Authentic Church. We've been talking a lot about this woman, the woman with the issue of blood. Now this woman, she had been bleeding for 12 years. And she's another crowd that's surrounding Jesus. She's been bleeding for 12 years, and she wants to be healed. She wants to be made whole. And if you know anything about that culture, if you had been bleeding as a woman, you were isolated. And when the bleeding stopped, you could purify yourself, and you could come back into society. But the bleeding hadn't stopped for 12 years. At this point, she was completely isolated, completely hopeless, completely shamed. Her husband had probably divorced her. Everybody had forgotten about her. Completely ridden with shame. And she sees Jesus walk into her town. And she says, if I can just touch his garment. So she sneaks through. She touches the garment. And Jesus stops. Who touched me? Because he felt something. He says, who touched me? And he sees the woman walking away and he gets everybody out of the way and he walks to the woman. The scripture says that power left Jesus. The power of God left him and filled the woman completely ridden with shame and he says to her, daughter. He uses the term daughter. He doesn't say, woman with the issue of blood, isolated and abandoned. He says, daughter, your faith has made you whole. See, what shame does to us is it reminds us of how broken we are. Again, whether it's something that we've done to someone else or something that someone's done to us, what shame does is it just brings us to this place where all we can be think about and all we're consumed with is how broken we are. 
And it's the power of God, the power of Jesus Christ, and that alone which makes us whole and which reminds us and empowers us to be unashamed of who we once were, what, what, what has been done to us and what we've done. It's the power of Jesus Christ that makes us whole. Who has power over your life? If it's anybody other than Jesus, we just live in this residual constant state of shame and brokenness. But it's the power of Jesus Christ that makes us whole. The interesting thing to me about the Roman church in this scripture is when Paul says, I'm unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To them, that appears to be a bigger statement Again, because of the cost of what it would have meant to be unashamed for Jesus. Like I said, these people, they hadn't, at this time, the fire hadn't happened, but that tension was building. Nero was in power. They could see, they just saw where this all was going. They knew that if they were unashamed of their faith, if they were unashamed of the power of Jesus Christ, that another power would try to shame them, another power would try to kill them. We don't live in that world today, if we're being honest. I mean, we don't. So why are we so ashamed? As Christians, why are we not more bold? And I'm not talking about a boldness. To be unashamed is not to be really loud. To be unashamed is not just to stand on a box on a street corner and just tell people, turn or burn. It's not what it means to be unashamed. That's not the power of Jesus Christ. The power of Jesus Christ is to go to women, to women like the women with the issue of blood. And to say, you're not forgotten. You're not too dirty. Despite what your husband has done to you or done for you or anything like that, you're welcome in this place. You belong here. The body of Christ is your home. It's to go to people like Zacchaeus and to have meals with them. It's to sit with sinners, people totally outcasted by the religious people in our society, and to say, hey, we may disagree on some things. We both got a long way to go, but I'm your friend. That's the power of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be unashamed. And we can do that freely in the world that we live in. In America, nobody's going to light us on fire. The very least, someone might say, you're a goofy Christian person. (laughs) Seriously, though. But there are people outside of America who literally lay down their lives every single day because they understand the power of the gospel. Because they've been made whole. I wonder today if the Christian church in America has really been made whole. I'm not talking about being perfect, friends. Have we really encountered the power of Jesus? Have we really been healed? From the things done against us and the things that we've done, have we been made whole? It's only through the power of Jesus Christ. My prayer, my hope for Heart of the City Church is that we would be an authentic church. That we would be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would live like Jesus by the grace and power of God. And we would befriend sinners. 
We would walk in that. We would be unashamed. Will you go, will you put up Mark chapter 8, verse 38? There's a, a really, really awesome New Testament scholar that I love to read. and He says this about the gospel. His name is N.T. Wright. He says this. He says, the gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news. What he's really saying is Christianity is not about morals or ethics or being a good person. Christianity is about despite your brokenness, despite your ability to be good, there is a good God who became flesh, who gave his life for you, who lived the life you couldn't live, and who died the death that you deserved in order that you could be set free. Christianity is not about morals or ethics. It's not about good advice. That's not what I'm giving you today is good advice. My whole mission and purpose here today is, even if you've been a Christian your whole life, to remind you of the power of a person in his name is Jesus. Now, the authentic church is not just a church that's unashamed, and this is a totally other sermon, but I'm going to include it because it brings us to this text. The authentic church is a church that's married to Jesus. See, Jesus says in this text, he says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed. If any of you are married and you denied your marriage with your spouse, how would that make them feel? If you had an opportunity to stand and say, I love this woman or I love this man, but you said, I don't know them. They're not my husband, they're not my wife, and you were ashamed of them. How would that make them feel? How would you feel if your spouse said, I'm, I'm not married to this person, but you, you really are? See, Christianity is not about a part-time job with Jesus where we just show up to church on Sunday. It's a marriage. And if anything, if marriage has taught me anything about God, it's that you can't go anywhere without him. See, when I was dating Brianna, I could, I could go home. And I could pick and choose when I came and, and when we went. And there was kind of a certain amount of freedom that we had. Not that we were unfaithful to each other or anything like that. But, but when things got hard, if there was an argument, and to a certain extent, we had to go home. But when you marry somebody, whoo! We live in an 800-square-foot apartment. <laughs> Regardless of what happens, there are very few places that I can go. As a Christian, you have to know this. You're making a commitment to marry Jesus. And no matter where you go, he's with you and he's for you. You can't run from him. He'll stand there waiting. And the only reason why Jesus would ever, be unashamed, would ever be ashamed of us is if we are ashamed of him. Now that blows my mind. I just can't, when I think about the power of Jesus Christ, I just can't imagine being ashamed of him. Especially in the world that I live in. Someone wants to say, Connor, you're weird, dude. You're crazy Christian. You're a Jesus freak. Yeah, I am. But I've been made whole. The only reason, the only way that we can be unashamed of Jesus Christ is to know that Jesus is completely unashamed of us. No matter what we've done or what we've been through, 
Jesus is completely unashamed of us. I'm going to close if Seth would come up. and I want to close with this. The authentic church is a church completely unashamed of Jesus Christ. There's a story in the book of Hosea. And I want to read it to you. It says this in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. And the Lord said to me, Hosea, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. See, Hosea's wife, Gomer, when Hosea married her, she had come out of prostitution. And Hosea married her and felt like she was made whole. But Gomer betrayed Hosea again. She went back into prostitution. She was back with probably just not one other man, but multiple men. And God speaks to Hosea. He says, Hosea, go find Gomer. Hosea, go to the red light district where you know your wife is and you know she's with another man. Go find her and go bring her home. And this is what it says in the text. Right after Jesus, where God says to Homer, go find your wife, Gomer, Hosea, getting the names mixed up, says this, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Hosea, go find Gomer. Can you imagine that moment when Hosea walks down the red light district? Have you seen my wife? Can you imagine even being in the red light district, asking for your wife? Or walking down Vegas, down the strip, and someone flicking cards at you, and you see your wife on that card, being like, yeah, that's my wife, where is she? I'm bringing her home. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. See, when this scripture talks about the children of Israel. It's really talking about the children of Israel. It's talking about God's love for Israel, but it's prophetically speaking of you and me, Don. See, Hosea is the image of Jesus, and Gomer is us. And no matter how good you think you are, or whatever, in comparison to the perfection of God, we're all prostitutes. That's harsh language, I know. But if you look at the person of Jesus and the power that he possessed and the life that he lived and the compassion and the mercy and the grace that he had, not just for the righteous people. If Jesus didn't like anybody, it was the people who thought they were too good because of their religious affiliation. It was for the gomers, for the people who were broken, the people who felt shame. Hosea, go find your wife. And Hosea goes and he finds his wife. And you know what happens? The pimp of his wife says, that'll be 15 shekels. What? That's my wife. She's my wife. I don't have to pay anything. But that's not what Hosea does. Hosea says, okay, whatever it costs, 
You name the price. I'll pay whatever I have to in order to have my wife back. In order to bring her home. Jesus had a cost, friends. We have a price. And he paid it all. He went up on that cross and he stood before the Father and he said, I'm unashamed. I'm unashamed. I just want my wife back. I just want my children to come home. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, I'll do it. Verse 4 says this. It says, For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or a prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Sometimes when you come to Jesus and you come out of your shame, you'll find yourself in the place of the wilderness at times. You'll feel like, am I really out of my shame, friends? If you're in that place, let me tell you, hold on. What Jesus has done for you has been done. There's no power greater. There's nothing that can hold you back. Even to death. Death has lost its sting. Humanity gave God their best punch. He took the blow and he overcame it. But it goes on and it closes with this. Verse 5, it says, Afterward the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord into his goodness in the latter days. I'm in my latter days, friends. I got a lot of issues, and I'm broken, and I battle with shame at times. I battle with my thoughts. But I know that my God paid the price for me and that no matter how often I stumble to the altar, that I'm his bride and he's there waiting for me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. And his love is way greater. His power is way greater than anything I could have ever imagined or find anywhere else in this world. I'm unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power to save not just the righteous people, not just the people of Hardest City Church, but the people of Coeur d'Alene the people of this country, and all the people of this world. Will you stand with me?